This episode is sponsored by Arc IT, and you'll find out more about them later on in the episode. I think what I try to do when we're talking about kind of the future here is it's like, well, we all we both know, and everyone kind of knows, we're behind, right? Like we're behind everyone else when it comes to software and technology. So what historical type of, and you mentioned this with the YouTube thing, which is great, like YouTube and GoPro and the platforms there. And I was kind of like, we're at, we're in 1994, right? And I think you can kind of take, like history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And I think we're just kind of like in this earlier epoch because it's just harder to move atoms right now, right? Like bits are really fun and easy to move around. And this is like, this is the hard part, right? This is the part where it's like marshalling atoms and it's just going to be harder. But like, I think you can see some parallels there. Like biotech is having a very similar moment where things are starting to yeah, get to a point where you can start just to code genomes. So, you know, some of these harder industries where it's working with biology or it's working with like bricks and mortar, it just wasn't going to happen as quickly as bits, but it will get there. And I think we'll have a very kind of interestingly rhyming history. Hi there, I'm Evan Troxell. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I welcome Ian Janicki of Outfit. And it was a pleasure speaking with Ian. He actually has an interesting background. He's a second generation architect. He worked in the trades as a teen. And I think both of these things revealed to him what he wanted out of the profession and also what he didn't want out of the profession. And it gave him a very unique perspective that totally makes sense when you see where he's gone with it. He did his five-year charade, and that's a direct quote from Ian in the episode, at Cornell, and pretty much went straight into tech after graduation. He's the founder of Outfit, and we get into why his startup exists in the episode. I decided to call this episode The Moment, so I want to give a quick explanation about what that is. The Moment serves as a backdrop to kick off a conversation about what we're seeing happening in AEC tech, and the moniker is in reference to the unforeseen convergence of several tech companies in the mid-1990s that brought so-called extreme sports into the mainstream. I talk about why I picked this example in the episode. We then use this as a framework to examine some startups that are currently working in the AEC technology space, and I'm hoping that they're working together with one another rather than independent silos, converging towards a moment for AEC. I love this quote from Steve Jobs that he said in his 2005 Stanford commencement address, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. It's worth watching if you haven't seen it. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. And so in this episode, we explore the topics of platforms and apps, puzzles and puzzle pieces, infrastructure and APIs, some speculation about what's changing, and perhaps more importantly, what's not changing in the next 10 years in AEC, the choice companies make to work on hard projects versus latching onto shiny objects, moving bits versus marshalling atoms, which is the first time I'd heard that, and Ian, I think, coined that term, and so much more. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Ian Janicki. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Evan, thank you so much for having me. There's this thing going on. I have this idea about the moment. And the moment 
I was explaining that I like to do mountain biking. I like to do rock climbing. And so there's like kind of this extreme sports aspect to me, which I don't consider any of it extreme, but that's just kind of the label that I think was, you know, ESPN helped make a part of everybody's vocabulary, right? With the X games, but it seems to be, have like become this overnight sensation and then start to think about the pieces that were in place to make that. And that's what the moment to me is. And so when I think about the core ingredients of how that happened, how not now when you go to the rock climbing gym, it's packed, it's packed full of people. Like that was never a thing, right? It was always team sports when I was a kid. Did you play any, any sports or anything when you were growing up? Of course. Yeah. So I was never a team sports player. I was like a skater and I was a rock climber and a, and a BMXer and I, it wasn't my thing. And there was always like a really small group of kids doing what I was doing not a big, it wasn't like there was no trophies for skateboarding, right? <laughs> there was yeah. no, it wasn't that kind of thing. But thinking about how tech kind of enabled this quote unquote overnight sensation, thinking about the the pieces that came together. And the analogy is that that's happening again, in the architectural, the EC space. Let's, let's talk about the ingredients of extreme sports. And then I thought it would be fun for us to try to kind of connect the dots of what's going on now, you're, you guys being a part of that, mm-hmm. and then maybe pontificate on what the future could be. But Google bought YouTube, brought it out of the Wild West. YouTube before that was didn't have as much foundation to it as Google brought data centers and, and security and all those things. Facebook became available to anybody with an email address, so the ability for people to share stuff at scale. And then cable modems came out, which allowed HD video streaming bandwidth was a big deal that's a key component to this equation this one i think is is a little bit less well known but i think looking back it's pretty obvious is this small startup camera company in san diego started producing gopros and a wearable camera which is a big deal i mean i grew up in the day of mini dv making you know before that it was like these giant camcorders that sat on your shoulder and X Games was all TV production, giant cameras on giant tripods. And now you could wear these things and shoot, you know, a burst of video. And all of these things converged to enable kind of this explosion of a very personal expression on the rock or, you know, underwater or on a bike going down a trail in the backwoods where nobody else was around. And so that to me was kind of a, an interesting you know, like a whole recipe put together. And now what people are able to do with a production studio in your pocket, and that's where it's come from there. So so let's pontificate on the, the outfits of the world, the high pars of the world, the test fits of the world, the canoas that, you know, there's, there's a lot of them. I think what you're getting at is, and especially with the example of say GoPro or YouTube, it's really about platforms. It's about these kind of horizontal plays that really reduce the capital costs of being able to, you know, produce like a really high end YouTube video or something like that. But I think in terms of, if we want to use the analogy of where we are in the AEC space and comparing it to the rest of software, I would even say we're probably more to earlier moment. We're probably like in 1994, right? We're kind of like just at the dawn of the internet because what was everything pre-internet? Everything was in isolation. And Architects still work in isolation. You know, it's there's there's no you know open source you know repositories. And I know there's a lot of companies trying to you know bring shared resources 
uh, to the forefront, but for the vast, vast majority of, of firms out there, you know, it, it is pretty isolated. Mm-hmm. Everything is built in-house. You know, back in the 90s, you know, software companies were still racking servers. And it, it took several years for AWS and this idea of, you know, really commoditizing these components that really don't make the the individual company more successful. Like being really good at racking servers doesn't make you greater margin. It doesn't make you grow. You know, it's just kind of like a un, it's just a necessary checklist. And what platforms allow you to do is allow you to focus on what are you, what are you specifically trying to serve your customers with? And all these other things are really distractions. What I think is so interesting about this moment is all these platforms starting to come online and whether it be upcodes and, you know, really allowing us to see every single zoning ordinance or, you know, around the country, or whether it be, you know, IPAR and what they're trying to do in terms of kind of creating the AEC EC2 instance, as you were. Mm -hmm. And that basically allows, you know, if we think about those as platforms, then what we're really starting to see on top of them, and at the very, very early days, are these applications, right? So you have this platform layer, and then you have the application layer. And I see Outfit as one of those applications. And just to kind of give a primer about Outfit, for for those who don't know, you know, we are, we we make, Outfit makes do-it-yourself projects as easy as possible. So customers come to our website, they choose their style and budget, and we deliver a kit of materials, tools, and instructions right to their front door. And so, you know, we saw that the best solution today was watching YouTube videos and asking for help at the Home Depot. But what people really want is a pain-free architect architect quality renovation at affordable price. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's think about those platforms we need to sit on top of. Well, you know, I think one of the interesting ones is just kind of how much e-commerce has advanced in the last 10 years. Before, I wasn't able to know what sort of inventory of two by fours are in a specific zip code, but now I have access to the information. And while there isn't necessarily an app layer or platform layer for that particular yet, like we're still building some of that stuff in-house, I wish there was a platform layer that was like a pure API where I could you know, say, I need three sheets of gypsum at this address in three hours. Like, unfortunately, that doesn't exist yet. Right. Someone listening wants to build that. I will be your first angel check. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that's what's so exciting about right now. What's necessary for these platforms to exist are enough application layer users, right? Like, right. if you're building these platforms and three people use it, well, then it's it's not worth the work, right? And so I think what's so exciting is that as we start to have companies like ours or uh, any of the other renovation companies or, or it, you know, really anyone trying to build something at scale across the nation, uh, serving many different customers in many different locales and many different use cases, these platforms become more and more important because I don't want to build some sort of extremely complex internal application that it really doesn't differentiate us from one, you know, one company and next. I want to focus on my customers' really specific needs. And I think you know, as more of us come online, there will be more demand for these platform layer pieces. I think that's what's really just very exciting about this moment. Yeah, I, I'm wondering, do, do are the platforms taking enough interest in the app makers like yourself? Because obviously there, there's a bit of a chicken and, and egg scenario going on here where you've got to build the platform to attract the people, not knowing what the people who build the apps are actually going to make, right? Because it's just, it's just, pure potential at that point obviously they can tweak and bend the platform to enable you to do your amazing idea and everybody else's as well and then in return all of those apps then make the platform more attractive as well 
it definitely is this kind of back and forth. I don't want to call it a tug of war, but it's like a very much like a collaborative effort. And so I'm wondering, do the platform makers themselves, obviously it takes a ton of effort and energy to build the platform. Are they also reaching out and building the bridges between you to enable you to succeed on their platforms? At the end of the day, it's really about existing demand. And I think that there have to be more of us to come online to really start to show that mm-hmm. there is demand there. And, but like, think about the chicken and egg, and that's been kind of the story of platforms and apps forever, right? I mean, you say that, you know, well, there wasn't a market for, uh, you know, S3 or whatever the, I forget what the first AWS um, product was on the market. Uh, it's like, there's no market for this. It's like, well, they invented it because there was latent demand because people were racking servers, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and then, you know, someone came along and said, actually, you just press a button and we'll take care of it for you. Yeah. And, you know, we're now going to just be hyper-focused on that thing versus you having to kind of spend maybe, you know, getting a couple hours in on working on security when security is really, really important. But now because it's getting pushed to the platform layer, they can actually become the world experts at it. So you don't have to be the world expert at it, yeah. right? It's kind yeah. of like obviously that, that type of responsibility away. And it's it's really about kind of latent demand there. And so, I mean, you know, as these apps come online, right, they're going to be kind of taking, you know, either expanding an existing market or taking an existing market from kind of traditional players and building those applications. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of hungry entrepreneurs out there who are, who can span the gap between architectural engineering, construction and technology mm-hmm. and can, can fill those gaps. And, uh, you know, while they haven't necessarily, you know, raised their, you know, round or anything like that, you can see on these very, uh, these great communities out there, like, like Architechy and, you know, just even AEC Twitter, that the, these people are, they're building things and it may not show up uh, today, but it's the, the time to jump into this is, is now. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I think I, I love the analogy of the app idea because it is like everybody's a piece of the puzzle and they get to focus on being their piece of the puzzle and how they're going to interface with kind of the directly adjacent puzzle pieces. But overall, the puzzle builder who decides what the whole that that really is more the, maybe it's maybe it's not one platform, but it's several platforms interfacing with each other to kind of define the edges and then how it fills in in the middle. They really have no idea. And they don't know who's going to become becoming knocking on the door with an idea to build a specific piece of the puzzle. And I, I, I love that idea of you guys being able to just focus solely on the thing that you're so good at and not have to worry about this other stuff because somebody else hopefully is interested in that or taking care of that. Well, I think you if you speak to any platform builder, whether it be uh, in any industry, but especially software, you know, you speak to the founders and if you ask them, are the applications being built on top of your system? Are they what you imagine when you were building the platform? And we'll say, absolutely not. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but that was, but it was so exciting and so energizing to see all the amazing things that people come up with, right? Mm-hmm. You need to provide that infrastructure and then people will make amazing things on top of it. So getting back to this kind of idea about the moment, this, yeah. if this is the moment, who... What are you excited about that's going on right now? I know that, like you said, there's AEC Twitter, which I've got a, a list on Twitter and lots of people follow it because it, I just try to categorize people into this. And I think it is one of the best places to have these conversations. It's just where the community is. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned Architecty, the Slack channel as well. Um, I feel like Twitter is a lot more, there's a lot more volume going through there. And and so who are the people that, that you're talking to who are other 
puzzle pieces of this moment in this evolution of of architectural profession, the building industry? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, you know, it's a small community right now. And so I only have a small list of, of, of folks to kind of uh, pontificate about right now. But, you know, what I think is really exciting about, you know, what the high part team is doing mm-hmm. and, you know, how they're basically turning functions into this kind of cloud layer. I think that's extremely exciting. Testbit.io is really another excellent example of this where it's uh, taking data from, you know, parcels and being able to come up with test bits mm-hmm. of these different, uh, these different structures that would take potentially months and months of times for a developer and an architect to collaborate and come up with. And I think what's so exciting here is not necessarily these in isolation, but when people start to stack these things, right? And so I can see in, you know, a couple of years where someone combines, you know, say the Reonomy API and Reonomy is kind of this, this, this service, which allows you to kind of search for different plots, right? And see who the owner is. And so maybe you could cross that with some sort of hyper function or a testbit.io type of function. Mm-hmm. And then you could tap into some other, you know, uh, I don't know this space as well, but some sort of like capital crowdfunding or some sort of some sort of system where, you know, you're grabbing equity and you're grabbing, you know, debt and you're being able to like now finance these projects. And then whoever builds this is like, maybe there's an API for permits, right? And you are, you know, you are simultaneously applying for permits across like 80 different locales. And whoever gets their permit through the building department first basically wins the race and they will, you know, allocate that capital into that community uh, and build those structures. That could be probably built, you know, I would say in, in five to six years, that could be built by one person, one computer scientist who knows, you know, real estate. I think that's what's so exciting about this moment. It's like the, the power that we're going to put in individuals' hands is going to be immense. And these large teams and all of this cross-communication between architects, engineers, and, and planners and things, that's going to be an API endpoint. I think that's, you know, I think for some people that's alarming and uh and for, for, for someone like myself, who's kind of like knee deep in it, and, and like, that's really, really exciting future. I think we'll all, you know, mutually benefit from that. It's, it's interesting. I, the things that you're bringing up made me think of, of two things. The first one, actually, you mentioned in, in kind of our collaborative note, which was when clients work or let's say developers or whoever work with companies who are doing these things at the speed and agility that they are. They're never going to want to use something else, right. right? Once they see it, they're never going to unsee it. It's kind of, you, you drew the analogy of Amazon. Like once I, I see what I can get my hands on and how fast I can get my hands on it, why would I mm-hmm. want to do something differently? And differently is how the, the existing, you know, establishment of the profession of the building industry. Mm-hmm. It, it's like this to design and build this building takes 36 months, 50, 60 months, whatever the number is. It's, it's a huge, immense painful process for a lot of people to even consider going through. Yeah. Absolutely. Therefore they don't. Right. <laughs> so that was one thing I thought of. And I and I think it might be worth diving a little bit into that just to just to see what some of your experiences with that uh on the renovation side. Yeah. I mean just to take a step back to get into a little bit more of a personal narrative. Um, you know, I studied I got my BR Bachelor's of Architecture at Cornell and did the whole, you know, five year trade. And <laughs> During that process, you know, especially in the earlier half, there was no question like, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to join an architecture firm. I'm going to put my hours in. I'm going to take the AREs. You know, I'm going to do yada yada. I did none of that, right? I, I completely just abandoned it by 
by the by graduation. And you know, when when you're in your younger years in architecture, you know, you, you have your friends and colleagues, obviously in your year, and then you also have acquaintances in, in other years. And when you get higher up in those years, you go to fourth year, you get to fifth year, you have friends who have graduated and they're starting to chirp back about what life is like as a young architect. Right. <laughs> you know, and they're like, uh, so I'm cutting foam models at 4 a.m. And I think I'm getting, a, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, lung disease from it. And I get paid $30, you know, an hour. And I'm trying to live in New York and I can't afford it. And, you know, maybe I can make partner in 50 years. Right. And I'm like, right. just kind of doing the problem. I'm like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> and then meanwhile, you know, I'm just, I'm really getting into technology. And I'm starting to, you know, in, in kind of remote Ithaca, New York, which is like nowhere near a hotbed of technology, you start to read TechCrunch. You start to kind of get the, get the missings, uh, missives, excuse me, of, uh, of, you know, what's happening in San Francisco. I felt like a million miles away from where it's happening. And you start to see like this 22 year old just raised $3 million on his like, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is happening? Why are, yeah. why are, why are these young ambitious people getting all the opportunities and, and being able to, to build something amazing? And, and when, from what I'm hearing through like the architecture firm is if someone acted like that, someone's like, oh, we're going to transform this and we're going to, we're going to break this and we're going to do something radical here. They would be very quickly, you know, shown the door, right? In, right. in that type of more stodgy type of firm life. So, like there's a lot of this kind of pay your dues mentality. Yeah. And I think as an arrogant young man, uh, I was just like, nah, I don't want to pay my dues. <laughs> and I just want to kind of skip that part. You know, I pay my dues in a different way. I, I, you know, I had to learn how to, uh, you know, build a career in technology. You know, I didn't, I didn't go out and found a company as soon as I arrived, arrived in San Francisco. You know, this is kind of starting for me, you know, eight, nine years later. But I think that just seeing that industry just really, really unequipped and not ready for radical change was something that was, you know, very very personal and really guided my decision making there because I was like, well, I basically have this fork in the road, right? Where I can either say, gosh, parametric design is really nifty. And, but let me tell you, they're, they're doing it wrong. They should be, you know, building scripts and running them against a thousand buildings, not building this crazy one, this one facade. Mm -hmm. And you know what I can do, I can go in there and I can change the profession or I can just take a leap of faith just go into the tech industry, not knowing what I was doing. And maybe one day I can, you know, finagle my way back to some sort of semblance and connection with architecture. And, you know, I'm very thankful I chose door number two. And I think there's a lot of people right now, my age, younger, and even older who are like, yeah, maybe, maybe door two is not, not so crazy. So talk about that journey that you went on from that point. I mean, you, you were, still kind of tied to the profession of architecture and technology kind of together, as I understand it? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was scary. You know, uh, I basically flew out to San Francisco with no job and was sleeping on a buddy's couch until I somehow found some sort of product design job. I thought that that was the best way for me to nudge my way into the industry, which was to, you know, lean on my the aesthetic skills that I've been building during architecture school and, you know, went to a kind of a temp agency and said, I want to be a designer in tech. And, you know, this is 2012 in tech and people were hungry for talented young people who could like do something. And again, it was, it was less about what your hard skills were and 
it was more about just like, what's your attitude? Can you learn quickly? Can you move fast? And I found my way into a product design role. And then the second job I got was really the thing that propelled my career, which was joining Xamarin. And again, Xamarin has nothing to do with architecture. It, it, it was a cross-platform uh, mobile development platform for C-sharp.net developers, you know, so one, developers who, who develop for Microsoft. But I learned so much there because I grew from a designer there to a product manager there. Then we were eventually acquired by Microsoft. But what was important was just the velocity of your career there, right? So I went from just kind of like extremely average designer, not, <laughs> not that much better today, but like I've improved a little bit. And, you know, by the, and, and within, the, within a year, within a year of like entering that, that company, I was then PMing my own SaaS product with 12 engineers working with me. And so that sort of velocity, I think was just intoxicating. And, you know, the, the advice I always give everyone especially coming from architecture is like, don't try to join an AEC tech startup. Don't do that. Join a rocket ship and learn the ropes of joining the ship because that's what's going to teach you. And that's going to get what's going to get your career going because of the connections you make afterwards and the, and the people, the connections you'll build there and the amazing things that those people and those individuals who worked at that rocket ship will eventually end up doing. It's been really true. And so Xamarin is really the most important journey in terms of that that young career that I took after taking that leap. And and then you so you did exactly what you're talking about. You you joined the rocket ship and where did that take you from there? Yeah, well, I think it took a little detour. That was at Katera. And so I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar with Katera. One of the things that I think was really important in my time at Katera, which was extremely brief, it was three months. I kind of knew as soon as I walked in the door of the front door, like, oh, everyone here is full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, but what, what it really knocked out of me was this kind of, which I think is endemic in, in AEC tech, which is the shiny object syndrome, mm-hmm. where it's just like, hey, here's a technology. Let's find a problem for it. And I think prefab and so, so, so many other kind of technologies that are kind of used and abused in our space. It's really unfortunate. And so I think, again, Katera was like, this sounds, you know, Katera and Prefab at that scale, you know, it's something where it works really well on a fast company article, right? But it does not work in the Excel model. It does not generate the revenue you needed to do in order to get those economies to scale. Uh, and otherwise, and I've seen this with a number of different, you know, AEC tech startups where it's just like, we're going all in on VR, we're going all in on AR, we're going all in on LIDAR or Bitcoin or, the, you know, blockchain or like all this stuff. It's like, who cares? What are you doing for the customer that's transformative? Figure that out and then work backwards to the technology. And I think that's where I learned at Katera, which was don't lock yourself in to some sort of platform that you think will take you to the moon, right? Like, figure out the customer pain point and then work backwards to the technology that's going to get you there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's a great way to put it. And I think a lot of architects still, even in the traditional sense, struggle with the value proposition of architecture, which is exactly what you're talking about. And then figuring out how to get to that or to bolster the parts of their business that help them do that even better. But I think there are so many shiny object distractions along the way. It's like, well, these are the keywords that are showing up in SEO. These are the ones that we want people to land on our website and make sure that they see something on our site that that mentions AR and VR and 
all of these different things rather than focusing on what their clients actually want. I have a hard time believing that their clients are going to hire an architect because they use VR, right? That's not, it's it's just a a means along the way. It's not why they're coming to you. Yeah, absolutely. No, you hit it right on the head, but I think it's going to take a couple more iterations of these, I mean, let's call them failures, right? To, to kind of get people into, into believing that, you know, you really do need to start with the customer and, and then work backwards. You know, we'll get there. But it, I think it would be prudent for everyone out there to really take that to heart, right? Like, don't get caught up in the noise. Don't get caught up in, you know, whatever the, the technology du jour is, you know? Like, we're not going to, you're not going to, like, let's think about the fundamental problems here. What's hard right now? Uh, material procurement is hard. Labor procurement is hard. Yeah. Getting permits is hard. Mm-hmm. All these different things, right? They have nothing to do. Like you're not going to solve any of those things with the blockchain. You're like you're not. But you do need to build the really tough. And there's such immense opportunity here to build the picks and shovels businesses that do solve these things. Mm-hmm. They're not as pretty. They're not as flashy. Mm-hmm. But man, they are they incredibly valuable. Yeah, and those are kind of foundational uh, pieces of this platform puzzle that we're talking about you can't build applications on top if you don't have the platforms beneath them right yeah yeah so upcodes right they're they're building an entire platform around codes and accessibility and and model checks but it's all in in service of the building code it's not a sexy subject at all nobody wants to deal with it if you made a list of the unsexy subjects of working in the architectural profession, the list is pretty long, right? We're talking about codes. We're talking about specifications. We're, ta- yeah. <laughs> we're talking about yeah. permit process. We're talking about agency review. We're talking about bin time, like all that's of these what, things. Right. That's, that's where like, where are people spending the most of their time? It's yeah. on that kind of nomenclature. And so, yeah, we need a, we need a thousand up codes, right? <laughs> we need more of these platforms to come through. Uh, I keep, Egging on the Reynolds brothers to to build the 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 permit API. I don't think they're doing it though. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and it's like you think about how much inefficiency is in is in that whole process, uh, and how those actually are the jobs that can be automated. Those kinds of things actually can be automated and should be automated first, right. because it's fundamental to all of the work within the industry. It happens on top of that. It's back to like, why are we spending time working on these pedantic tasks that really aren't really benefiting you in terms of you differentiating yourself from your competitors and also making something really fabulous for your customers? The more that you can, you know, commoditize those units and outsource those units, either to software or any other platform, um, maybe human in the loop, is better because then you can really focus on the customer experience, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But so often, you know, and if you look at the firm structure today, I think you could see that like, because they can't outsource, because they, because everything has to be, you know, all this, uh, you know, talent has to be in-house and it's all very locked together. The attention paid to the customer experience is diminished. You know, there is a certain amount of like zero sumness when it comes to time. And I think that's why you see why, software platforms and software experiences are so addictive it's it has nothing to do with the technology it's just the fact that the people building those things have the luxury of thinking about that customer experience and making it wonderful mm-hmm. not making a three and a half star experience not making a four star experience, making a 10 star experience mm-hmm. but you can only do that if you can do way 
with all the different aspects that you just mentioned and, and allow someone else to do that. Right. Yeah. But if you're doing everything and, and you're constantly doing that, you'll never be able to focus on that customer experience. Yeah. And just thinking about whoever does do that and the experience that those customers are going to have, going back to our earlier comment about nobody's going to want to do anything different after they see that happen. So you want to be early to that as, as possible, because if you're not, you're going to, your customers are going to go elsewhere, period, because they're going to not be able to unsee that. Yeah, completely. And I think the app layer, when it comes to customers, is going to really be focused on having the customer as their, is really be, being a first party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of, and again, I, I can't speak to it to a great extent because I really never practiced, but I'm assuming, you know, clients are interfacing, not just with architects, but they are interfacing with contractors and they are interfacing with all these different parties. And like the, take the equivalence of that with software. That means like, if you had to interact with Facebook, but you also had to interact with like, I don't know, their database provider, right? <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm making a very weak analogy here, but when it's just kind of this really cohesive experience and it's a button. Yeah. That just makes it, yeah, it's just like you won't go back to it, right? Yeah, yeah. All of the different craziness and all the different decision-making, you won't want to go back to that. It's just like, oh, yeah, is there an easy button for this? Yeah. Then, like, you want to click it. It's, I think it almost, makes, makes me think of, like, Tesla's car configurator online, right? It was absolutely very early to the game of, like, we're not going to have dealerships. We're going to direct to consumer, and you don't have to wander a dealer and and haggle with the salesperson and and know more than they do, right? Which is so infuriating because that always happens. They're like, no, we'll just give you the interface to pick exactly what you want and push the buy button. Right. I think that this is, I think this is one of the things that I think is deeply ingrained in in, in, um, architecture circles is that every customer wants something custom. We have to cater to their every material choice, to their, you know, every, and, and it makes sense, right? Because when you're geographically constrained and you only have a certain amount of customers, then that makes sense. You have to bend to their whims. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting in this architecture office now and, you know, I have tile samples right here, right? And, you know, you show them off to your customer and you have like, and there's like 1,800 of them over here. And right. like, well, do you want this, you know, kind of like taupe color? But, you know, when you start to expand your audience and you're starting to, allow yourself through through the internet and, th- and through these uh you know uh, build, by building these apps when you're able to address address a much much larger audience if 98 percent of people don't like your design and you're saying your design is set right and that's how we approach an outfit right like these are kits and the design is set and in the future we will offer variants we will offer your ability to be able to you know toggle things but you're not getting something bespoke here and i think that what we're seeing is that, you know, people are okay with that. They want some of, some of those decisions made for them. Yeah. Right. And I think there's this, 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 uh, tension still in architecture. And again, I think it is because they're, they're geographically constrained, uh, customer set is, uh, they don't have that luxury to say, mm, you know what, I'm not going to work with you. Right. Because you have all these crazy needs of, um, all these, uh, of all these different requirements that make my life difficult as an architect. But I think once you can say, like we're going to address a nationwide audience and this is the design. Uh, just like you said, with the, with the Tesla configurator, if you don't like this color red for your electric car, cool. There's no other electric car in town. So you can go kick rocks. 
Let's take a break from this conversation and welcome back the sponsor for this episode, ArcIT. Let's start this off with a short story. When Zach, a principal architect at CSDA Design Group, came to ArcIT, his network was hit with a ransomware attack and had been down for going on seven days, and his current IT support provider was telling him that it should be back up any day now without making any progress on getting them back up and running. When he came to ArcIT for help, they worked to recover his firm's most important project files first so he could be back up and running because they understood there are deadlines to hit. Zach's firm has now been with ArcIT for going on a year, and he couldn't be happier. So, as business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. And for many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know that I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills. Not pleasant. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms. And their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope, because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry. Their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, Speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT-type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. So go to GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com arc-like architecture in the middle, and click work with us. So thanks very much to ArcIT for sponsoring this episode of the Troxel podcast. And now let's get back to our conversation. I I remember when I started working in a firm when I was in college interning, and the internet was still very new, okay? So I I built their first website, and I hand-coded every single bit of it. And so I, I learned HTML. It was not daunting. It wasn't hard. I mean, it was just something that nobody else wanted to do. Right? So yeah. I, I chose to do it and learn it. And what's interesting now is look how far we've come in, let's just call it 25 years. 25 years, uh, nobody even considers writing their own code for a website anymore. There are platforms out there, call it WordPress, Squarespace, Wix. It doesn't matter what it is, but people are starting from... They're not starting from scratch, and then they're plugging in modules to that that are already defined because somebody's already figured it out. So you want to do payments, you plug in Stripe, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of database plugins, and there's just tons and tons of stuff available. And look how much our profession has changed in the same amount of time. Negligible, a negligible amount, I would say, into how people practice. So, I mean, you had a comment when we first started talking about doing a podcast, right? And that was, you said... E-commerce is going to hit traditional architecture hard. Once they catch on, it's going to be way too late. 
And this has been figured out a while ago. <laughs> and things are moving so fast. So, so expand on that idea. And if, if I had a, if, if there's any architects listening, I would say, if you're in your fifties and your sixties, uh, you have nothing to worry about, right? You're going to be able to coast for the rest of your career. You're not going to have to like learn any of this stuff. This will not be consequential for you, right? It's like, okay, but let were... me stop you right there because that is sad. That is so sad because what we're, what we're intentionally saying is, and I, I agree with you, that is an, uh, an outlook that many people have. And I wish we would think about the next two or three generations. Yeah, well, okay. Well, I was getting there, right? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like you don't have to worry about the internet if you were working in some industry that was going to be transformed by it in 1994, right? You're like, if you're, yep. you're 45, if you're 55, you're like 10 years, 15 hours, three years from retirement, it's probably going to like be a little uncomfortable at the very end of your career, but you don't have to like re, you don't have to relearn anything, you right? You reinvent yourself, yeah. You don't have to reinvent, which it gets harder as you get older. But if you're in your 20s and your 30s, I would start waking up, mm -hmm. right? Because this is going to hit everyone like a, fre like a freight train. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, outfits going to do it and, you know, you're all screwed. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that in, in 20 years, it's going to look real different. And if you don't think people are going to want to purchase their homes and their renovations and their office spaces and whatever may be, whatever built object they want online in a configurator and just press a button and there's financing built in. If you don't think that's going to happen, wake up, right? Don't be a travel agent in the world of Expedia's. And so I would, you know, I'm not saying break out. I'm just saying like, start being more curious about what's happening here, right? Start digging in and seeing like, well, how, what are the tectonic plates and how are they moving? Mm -hmm. And what skills should I maybe start investing in to, you know, transition to this newer future? I just think it would be incumbent for, for everyone in kind of that age range, my age range, to, you know, start to at least, I'm not saying like, you know, throw your hands in the air, quit architecture, I'm not saying that at all, but start being curious about the, what, what's happening in, in this industry at the moment, especially on the technology side, and embrace it and, and, and start to learn more about it. Because I think the more hands on deck, the better, you know, like I would love more architects to kind of get more involved. I think that the more hands on deck would be, would be beautiful. Don't don't stick your head in the sand and thinking, you know, like uh, you can just avoid this for the next 40 years because you won't be able to. It, it is interesting to think about that potential that exists and how you can take all of this, uh, this stuff that seemingly is tangential to our profession and applying it directly to it. There's so much potential there. I even think about, you know, I'm starting to get into NFTs like the rest of the world and, and crypto and I was recent, recently listening to a, a podcast about uh, DAOs. Are you familiar with DAOs? Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. I'm, I'm sort of familiar, yeah. So, I mean, cryptocurrency is decentralized, right? That, that's, yeah. that's one of the yeah. biggest benefits of it. It's not, there's not one entity controlling it. And so this is an idea of basically spooling up an organization, not a company per se. Like typical companies are built on this legacy idea of how companies are built just like architecture firms are built on the legacy idea of how architecture firms are built. Well, now, because of this decentralized nature that the internet has enabled, it allows you to kind of spool up a community-led, and that community could be one person or it could be 100 people, right? It's not, But it's not enormous, right now at least, to make the decisions about the directions that these things go. And the underlying kind of structure here is this idea of smart contracts. 
the contracts are built into this system, and because they're decentralized, they're easy to validate. This, to me, has huge potential in the type of things that we're talking about even right now. It's like putting together a puzzle for a project, and that can be a community-led, not top-down. It can be a community decisions along the way, and also a community ownership of that thing. And it's basically turning a company into a project. So I'm going to push back here. Yeah, do it. Uh, because this is kind of what I'm talking about when I say the shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. Right, like DAOs. I think like it is the, now. Like this is definitely right. on the early stage of that hype cycle curve. Right, right. like <laughs> to go back to the thing that I was qualifying before, which is like, when does the technology matter? Mm-hmm. How is the DAO improving the customer experience? If if me and you are starting the same company, right, and I'm you know building, I, I'm I'm getting incorporated in Delaware, and I'm raising traditional venture capital, and you're raising a DAO. Like, is you do you have a ten x advantage over me? I don't think so because like unless you're making the product and, and you're making the customer experience 10x, like don't leverage the technology. Like you can, again, it doesn't have to, you can always leverage that in the future if that's convenient for your business model. But again, you got to come back to how is the customer making a purchase decision? I think, and if it's yeah, not- and I'm not thinking of it from the end. I'm thinking of it as the involvement or the interactions leading up to, you know, that that end point, which is it gives more people more opportunity to be part of that decision making process. Whereas like right now, a traditional corporation is very much the sharp point of the pyramid at the top. Yeah, of course it is. Right. But I'm just like, I'm just very shrewd when it comes to this stuff, because I'm just like, well, is at the end of the day, it, you know, it really matters who the customer is choosing. And, you know, you can have you can have this like fabulous kind of organization and, and it's like very democratized and like listen i like i sympathize with like how that is important and how that is going to be uh you know that that's fair and equitable but like when you look at it in the battlefield of capitalism mm-hmm. will that win will, will you beat out other competitors who are doing something uh asymmetrical to that and yeah, it's early. I, it's too early to tell for early, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, I don't have the answer. I'm not saying I have the answer, but I've always been very uh, reticent to jump on the technology train. Like this is the future. So it's like, well, like I'm just focused on making the 10 star customer experience and mm-hmm. everything is works backwards from there. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm thinking of it on a, on a different perspective, which is like in the same way that outfit has become enabled by the internet to build an app, layer on top of platform layers, AWS, whatever those things are, Hypar, everything. To me, this is a very similar idea that could has the potential. It might not be the answer in the future. It could totally fail, but we will learn something along the way. And this type of idea, I think, has the potential to disrupt the profession, the backbone of our profession, which is how we do business. Well, at the end of the day, right, it really comes back to capital and how is capital getting allocated to projects, mm-hmm. right? Why are architects so have such thin margins, yeah. right? It's because they have zero risk capital in their projects, right. right? And I get it, like the whole dynamic of how developers work and, and all that stuff, like it is unfortunate, but this is kind of like how the table stakes are now. Developers get all the upside of a project because they have the capital, right? Because they put the risk in to say, we're going to build this structure on this lot, in this city uh, for these potential customers, right? 
And, you know, that like all the rewards come from the risk capital. And so in this now, right, it would we, we would have to see like, well, where's the capital coming from for this, right? And so what is getting injected in there? And what do these LPs, right? Whoever is putting this money in, you know, it's not charity, right? So right. what is their return on investment? Right. So if you can prove that the capital is going to be better allocated through some sort of DAO and you're going to get a much higher ROI, then of course that will win. Mm -hmm. But I guess like that's where I'm coming from, which yeah. is like, where is the capital going to be leveraged most efficiently? It's right. Like angel uh, investing, right? It's like you've got these investors who, who diversify their portfolio and most of them are losers, right? <laughs> right. But there are some winners in there, hopefully. Yeah. No, absolutely. Right. And, and this is the case too. This is something where we're, we're you know, I, I think I speak uh, with a lot of, uh, a, you know, uh, I kind of probably uh, share this experience with a lot of other uh, AC tech founders, especially ones who are trying to enter the space of marshalling atoms versus just moving bits around. Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah, there's a lot of folks who are like, hmm, is that, is my capital going to be efficiently allocated by trying to transform the built world? Or mm, what if there's just like an app that architects can use and, you know, you, you know, like uh, it's, it's kind of like this isolated environment. You don't have to deal with the real world. Like right. that seems like that, that seems like a more sure bet. Yeah. I think that that's kind of like the narrative right now inside of, uh, you know, fundraising when it comes to this, this space is like, like, can you prove that these very, very new application layer objects are going to be far more, you know, they're going to actually be far more capital efficient and, and, and more, uh, ROI for these for these angel investors. Again, it comes back to you know people want returns. Right? <laughs> At the end of the day, people want returns. Whether it's investors investing in a DAO or investors investing in angel investment, and so you know that's that's always the framework I try to use is like, well, when the cows get called home, right? Like, what what are the uh, like, you know, how 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 much were you able to 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 produce with that with that initial yeah. uh, investment? Bringing it bringing it back to outfit and you guys. The, the kind of work that you've chosen to do and we'll we'll wrap up i think this will be our last topic here and i just i think it's incredible that you guys have focused on elevating the quality of life that i mean that's your goal right is to give people some agency in the spaces they're already in to elevate their quality of life with these kind of these kits like that's how you describe it right it's a kit to enhance a kitchen you know what are, what are the different types of spaces that you guys support so kitchens, bathrooms, uh, we're kind of uh, listening to customers and kind of figuring out, you know, what are the spaces that are most important to them and, and what are the ones that they feel personally capable of from a handiness perspective to actually improve. And, you know, that's incumbent on us to make the uh, select material selection and the instruction set to be able to be accessible. I think we're, we're still learning that right now, which is like, what is that bright line? What is the tool that is too aggressive in terms of advanced experience that you know, it's just not going to be something that is broadly applicable. Uh -huh. You know, we want to be the, the the Home Depot of the 21st century, right? And so we need to make sure that it's, it's super accessible to all. And so I think for me personally, right, I had this, uh, you know, really valuable skill of, of, of being brought up and, you know, I'm a second generation architect and, you know, I uh, was raised to be very handy. And and uh, I think it's just incredible that I have the opportunity now to, to pass on that skill set to as, as many people as possible, especially being able to leverage software and, and leverage the internet. As you said, like people should have the confidence and the ability to tackle problems with their home um, and not having to outsource every single thing. Now, obviously there are certain things that we don't want to necessarily get into, right? Like we don't want to move 
structural walls and things of that nature, you know, we definitely think you should work with an architect for, for those type of, um, you know, modifications. But for, for things that some like, you know, lipstick on a pig type of, uh, you know, uh, projects that you can do in your, in your space, whether it be, you know, that bathroom or that, that kitchen or that, that living room, you know, we want to be able to provide a kit of materials, tools, and instructions that allow you to, to make your space more enjoyable. We think that DIY can be a fun and a bonding experience for everyone, whether that be your partner, uh, you working with your kids, you working with your neighbors. Um, and so that's what really what we're trying to, we're trying to do with Outfit. There's also that, that injection of sweat equity that they get, which probably elevates that outcome and amplifies it to a, to another level, right? When, when you're like point at something and say, I made that, that has a huge effect in the, in the outcome and the stories that live on beyond that project. There's this great study that was, uh, it's called the Ikea effect that people are willing to pay up to 60% more for something that they assembled themselves because of the pride they got from actually assembling. So if you sold a, you know, a bookcase, that was already like already put together and already finished versus a bookcase that is cheaper to produce because you're not assembling it yourself and you're not shipping the full put together oh, yeah. item, right. that's flat, you're, you're flat packing it. You can sell that for more because of the reward of people get from, from putting things together. I can speak for myself, you know, like as a kid who's just like obsessed with Legos and things of that nature, like, you know, you kind of graduate right to that next level. So you go from Legos to your dorm room, right. Where you're putting together that, that bookshelf or that desk. And, you know, we really see outfit is that, that next step where we're moving from that book step to that bookshelf to really, you know, being the interfacing with your actual home and improving the, the surfaces and the structures of your home. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, uh, a really interesting observation. And how are, how are you guys delivering your instruction sets? So everything is in an app, right? So we've already built this app, which allows people to, you know, scroll through all the different, like we have different sections, like such as tiling and, and demolition and, uh, you know, how to, how to do tiling, all these different sets of instructions that we can actually, you know, because of the nature of the app, we can, and, and, and on the nature of their existing conditions, we can add and subtract those instructions which are generalized, but you know, once we add and subtract those instructions for their specific project, then they get kind of this kind of unique instruction set, uh, like almost like this kind of like unique IKEA booklet um, for their unique project. And I think that's what's so powerful about what we're building is the uh, the ability to be flexible, right? Because every other every space is you know is 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 different in its own way. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done in terms of kind of categorizing and commoditizing all the different brownfield conditions out there you know it's i like to say that it's a long tail but it's not infinite right there are things that rhyme out there like if you're in a you know a renovation that was done in the 80s like we and you tear down like uh tear down the you know say the wall we expect certain things behind that wall right there's a certain amount of like variance right and a certain amount of expected things that we can expect from that era that is what you can expect from that house and so yeah you know everything is just like in your pocket and that's what we think is so powerful you get in your pocket, you get all the different orders coming in. You can see the tracking numbers of theirs. You get all the different uh, to-dos. You can chat with one of our experts. And so, yeah, it's just like a really powerful and fun experience and, and just a new way to DIY. And are you guys delivering any video-based content about how to use certain things? I, I, I'm just trying to imagine like the tool set that you're going to ship to these people to do the thing. And then the experience level, like that's another whole set of unknowns for you guys. It's like, what's yeah. your experience level? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, I think we're at a point now where we're not producing first party videos, but it's something we're definitely excited to start doing uh, within this year where we can really kind of, you know, right now we're kind of taking, we're looking at what are best practices online and we're trying to collate them and edit them and kind of being this, it's editor, if you will, and, you know, looking at, you know, what are the different DIY tips out there and which ones can we learn from? And like, oh, that's actually a really bad idea. And, you know, everyone on the team has uh, an architecture degree. And so it's, it's really nice to be able to kind of like go back and forth and really have that expertise there of different, you know, different experiences, different opinions about how things should be done. Uh, and then, you know, giving the, the customer a really high quality result because of that architectural collaboration. I think that video is going to be huge for us long-term and it's just a matter of like getting that content machine rolling. I love it. And so I'm really glad that you're able to share this on, on the show with people. I, I personally like how you guys are doing something to elevate the day-to-day of, of people's living situations. Obviously, there's a huge change that people have gone through. And I think the crowds at Home Depot on the weekend are a definite indicator that, that there's a ton of attention being put onto our own personal spaces, unlike um, you know previously. So kudos to you guys for, for doing that and for being kind of at the ready for this huge change. Like it's just fantastic timing for you guys. I bet you're learning a ton right now as well. Yeah, it's it's a very rapid learning process right now. Well, if you if you want to finish up and give everybody links to where they can find out more about outfit and what you are you guys are doing online and and your Twitter accounts and then what I'll do is I'll put all those links in the show notes so that people can follow along. Absolutely. So we're just build outfit everywhere, buildoutfit.com, build outfit on uh, Instagram, build outfit on uh, Twitter. If you want to follow us? So yeah, and we are releasing kits and we're trying to release kits to the greater cadence right now. We're in the middle of launching this great uh, kitchen kit, which is kind of like this all-encompassing modern farmhouse. Uh, includes, you know, the cabinets, the, the countertops, the, the floors. Um, and we'll be releasing more projects that are a little less intense than the kitchen uh, in the in the coming weeks, in the coming months. And so, yeah, please give us a shout out and give us a follow. And uh, yeah, you can always reach me at ian at buildoutfit.com. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you so much for the conversation today. It was a lot of fun and great information shared. So um, I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, I really, really enjoyed it, Evan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank Arc IT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at getarchit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.